Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hey everybody, welcome to another new episode of Undying Light. I'm your host, Pastor Alex, and back at it once again for you in the Gospel of Matthew as we are continuing our plunge through uh, this wonderful, wonderful Gospel. Uh, Just a couple quick uh, housekeeping items, if you would. Again, all of the commercials are saved to the end of the show, so you don't have to be bored about that, but... I do want to say that th- some things are changing in patron, and we will be doing a private patron-only Bible study uh, coming soon. So that is something that's in the works, as well as you get a private uh, patron podcast episode on the book of Genesis. So those are just two things to kind of keep in the back of your mind. If you are interested in helping support the show, those are some of the benefits that you would receive and be able to partake in. And you can do so for as little as a dollar a month. Anyways, let's get into the show. We've got some content to work through. And and I kind of like not having to do nine or ten minutes of housekeeping stuff anymore. And I think that is making the show a little bit more, uh, you know, kind of on point and on focus. And keeping us moving forward. And hopefully we can cover a little bit more ground. But we're not really at that juncture yet. I would like at some point to be able to, you know, hit two or three or even four sections in a show, but I want to take in this text and and do it justice. I want this to not just be a rushed conversation, or I don't want it to be just, um, you know, something that we were, you know, kind of breezing through just to get the the, the topics done. I want to ensure that we do our due diligence on this text and so with that said we are going to look at Matthew chapter 10 beginning with the fifth verse so last week we wrapped up uh, the section of the harvest is plentiful and the laborers are few and then that carries into chapter 10 the first four verses where we name the 12 apostles so that is a continuating thought why they put a um you know, a chapter marker there, that's 
you know, another debate for another time. Um, but, uh, you know, why they will assert verses when, you know, that could be one or two sentences or three sentences long, or why do they have, you know, it's just, it's all that stuff is nuanced, but it pays us to understand that 10 does not deem a time separation. Jesus is talking here in verse 35 of chapter nine, and that thought continues and and then Matthew simply just records these 12 apostles of who and uh, who they are. And then we see another continuating thought into verse 5 where we are sending out the apostles, the 12 to be specific. So, pays well to know that the harvest is plentiful, there are many people who need to hear the gospel. Here's the 12 apostles, now those 12 are being sent out into the world. And this is essentially what begins the missionary um, discourse here in Matthew chapter 10. And it'll take us, as I mentioned last week, through like verse 41 or 42 in this chapter. So uh, let us dig into the text and uh, we'll see what is going on here. Beginning with the fifth verse. These 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans. But rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick and raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without pain, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts. No bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter... Find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it, and, the how, and if the house is worthy, let your peace come among it, upon it. If it were not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave the house or town. Truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. All right, so a lot is happening here. We we see some uh, authority given to these uh, apostles. Now, uh, it should be reminded that this same authority does not cascade to the church today. Uh, you are not, you don't have the power that these men had. These men, these twelve apostles, were uh, governed, sanctioned, and instructed by Jesus Christ Himself, and they're. Uh, explicit context is in these immediate texts as they go into the world. And so he sends these 12 out. Now, we don't know whether they're gone for a couple of weeks or a couple of months or how that, you know, that time functions, or is this the pretext for something that would be post ascension of Christ. And so uh, it kind of can function in both of those manners, whereas it's a, an immediate sending out kind of like a testing, if you would, but it also it is an instruction for the greater missionary work that will be at hand. And that is, again, a continuating thought from the end of verse 9, as Jesus is saying, he is the only person working right now. He's the only laborer present in the world preaching the gospel. And we have these 12 now being commissioned to go and do that same act. And so let's unpack this. So they are sent out. So Jesus' second discourse, again, 5 through 42, concerns the upcoming mission of his disciples. This training would prepare them to serve the church in the future. So 
like I said, it's kind of twofold. Probably sending them out for a weekend or a short trip, if you would, to the surrounding communities. They go out two by two and they enter into these towns or in these homes and they perform these actions. And this is to prepare them for what is to come in the church in the future. But it also is a precursor to the greater missionary work that will take place once Christ ascends back to heaven after his death and resurrection. So he makes this pretty explicit instruction here. He says, go nowhere among the Gentiles. Uh, The disciples were to concentrate their immediate efforts on the Jewish people living in Galilee. Uh, Only later would Jesus give them the command to go into all nations, which is found in chapter 28. So this is uh, kind of a the pretext, if you would, to the Great Commission. And uh, we see that the later command, and in fact, verse 18, which we'll talk about hopefully today if we have time, uh, will we'll give a bleak description of being in the Gentile lands. But that is not the explicit command yet. It comes more so in uh, the chapter 28 at the beginning of the 19th verse. And that is because that's when we start to unpack the greater uh, the Great Commission. Uh, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, into the world and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them all that you know. And so that is the pretext to that verse down the road a little bit here. So we're starting to establish the mission of the church, the mission of the apostles and their purpose. And as Jesus sends them out, this purpose and this mission that they will undertake uh, is kind of done as a, uh, you know, an introductory period here in chapter 10. So moving along in verse 6, Jesus gives them the explicit command not to go into uh, the Gentile lands or enter the town of the Samaritans, but rather focus on the lost sheep, the house of Israel. Jesus has observed the spiritual misery of the house of Israel during his own time through Galilee, and he recognizes how necessary it is for the laborers to go and proclaim the gospel of the kingdom. This, again, going back to chapter 9, verses 35 through 38, discussing the harvest. Jesus would train the apostles as shepherds, and this essentially will establish the title of pastor, which would come later. Uh, John in the 21st chapter, Ephesians chapter 4, 1 Peter, in the 2nd and 5th chapter make note of this. So the disciples' uh, message would be identical of that of Jesus and John the Baptist, as Mark chapter 1, verses 14 through 15 point to. There's no new gospel. This is, I think, sometimes uh, the message that can get a little bit foggy. There is no new gospel that the apostles had that Jesus didn't uh, or that the Jesus had and John the Baptist didn't. We have to remember that John the Baptist was the last Old Testament prophet who paved the way for Jesus. And so John's message was to prepare the world for Jesus' coming, and Jesus and his apostles were there to proclaim that the kingdom is here. So the gospel remains the same. So he tells them to go in and do this, proclaim the gospel. He says in verse 7, uh, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then he says that uh, you are to cast out 
the uh, the demons. You were to heal the sick, raise the dead, and cleanse the lepers. So he lists four ways for his disciples to use their authority. These miracles were signs of the nearness of God's kingdom. And he goes on to tell them that this is not for personal gain or financial gain. This was to demonstrate the authority and power that God's kingdom was at hand. And so he tells them in verses 9 and 10 not to acquire any gold, do not pick up any bags or extra tunics or sandals or a staff or anything. Don't take anything. Just just go into the world and preach. And again, this is kind of one of those pretexts to uh, the greater mission work of the church. And they are being prepared in this verse for what they will do in the immediate future as well as in a few years down the road after the death and resurrection of Christ. So verses 9 to 10, they are to travel light. They are to carry no access baggage or provisions. Uh, Jesus approves the common sense rule that those who benefit from the laborers of another are obligated to provide something in return. The laborer does deserve his food. So he's saying if, if you go to these places, don't take anything with you. But if you are out working and somebody feeds you, eat. The, the laborer deserves his food. So make sure you... You, you get, you know, whatever it is being offered to you and you get some substance in you. Verse 11, uh, whatever town or village uh, you enter, find out if it is worthy and then find a place to stay at. And if that house is worthy, greet it and let your peace come upon it. So you're to stay there and that is kind of your home base for whatever time period this will be. Uh, the person receptive to the gospel and willing to provide food. Uh, Luke uses terms uh, for this person as a son of peace, as Luke points in chapter 10, verse 6. So it is helpful for us to understand that there are these people out there that are willing to receive the gospel, be receptive of it, and in turn provide food and a place to sleep for the disciples or the apostles here. Uh, again, this is a, a very common thing in today's culture where we as Christians can travel around uh, and you would be you, you would find uh, rest or solitude or you would find some sort of, um, you know, hospitable living search, uh, circumstances or situations where uh, the people are open and willing just because you are a Christian. And so. It is developed and adapted, obviously, into the modern age, but the original mission of the church was to go to places that were receptive. If the town was not receptive, they're told to just leave. They're told to, to just you know, kick the dust off their shoe. But to the places that they are, they Jesus says, let your peace come upon. The peace of the disciples gave was the same peace that was found in Christ. The disciples were unable to know for certain which persons were worthy, and if they extended the peace of Christ to an unworthy person, the blessing would be ineffective. So later in the sermon, Jesus describes people who are, quote-unquote, not worthy of me. This is in verses 37 and 38. And he also spoke of guests invited to a banquet as being not worthy. So that is in chapter 22, verse 8. And we'll talk about that later on down the road. So Luke actually gives us a little bit more definition on the shaking off the dust, uh, but it's a ritual act symbolizing God's judgment against those who reject the gospel. 
as if to indicate that the twelve should not even associate with these unbelievers' dust. Jesus commands the 72 to do the same when he sends them out, as Luke records in chapter 10, verses 10 and 11. And Paul also does this during his mission acts uh, in Acts 13, verses 51, and Acts 18, verse 6. So, helpful for us to know that the uh, judgment of God would be upon them, that the dust of the uh, people who have rejected uh, the the apostles is not even worthy to be on the feet of the apostles. So Jesus says, shake it off and leave. And truly I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment. So the day of judgment, the catastrophic judgment uh, meted out on Sodom and Gomorrah, as Genesis 19 points to, was nothing compared to the eternal end times punishment for those who refuse Christ's gospel. So in our church Bible study yesterday, I made this statement uh, on, on the end of times that there are going to be two lines. We, we were talking a little bit about Matthew 24 and 25 and you know, Jesus is ushering the goats into the lake of fire and the sheep into eternal life. And he said the only difference between these two lines are the believers in Christ and the unbelievers in Christ. Those who refuse the gospel will experience eternal punishment. And Jesus is telling these folk, these apostles here, that the, the, the people that reject it, it's bad news for them. It is, it is, it is not a good thing that they have rejected the gospel. And he says, so shake off the dust and leave. I will take care of it later. Don't you worry about it. Don't let that weigh on you or anything like that. But I will take care of it on judgment day. So Jesus is giving them that uh, that kind of pre uh, Tense. You've been using that word a lot on this show, I guess. Uh, but he's really kind of setting up for the greater thing, uh, the greater event. A little bit of a foreshadowing, perhaps. It's a good word to use here on what will come on the Day of Judgment. But uh, really, the Olivet Discourse in Matthew 24 and 25, Luke, thir- or Luke 21 and Mark 13, uh, those instances really capture uh, that Day of Judgment. And so I really... Say, if you want to study eschatology, start there. Start in Matthew 24 and and then continue on if you really want to study eschatology. We did a whole series on on it on the show a while back in uh, 2020 and 2021. And so you can go back in our archives and find those episodes. There should be somewhere in the neighborhood of 52 to 56 episodes, something like that. And we talk about eschatology and we went through the four different mainstream views and then we talked uh through some pagan views and uh then we looked at genesis all the way through revelation and talked about the day of the lord and and various points of eschatology throughout scripture and then went verse by verse through revelation to conclude that out so uh, go back and check those out if you're interested in a little bit more the end of times we'll talk about it again here probably in a few months when we get to matthew 24 and 25 So Jesus is sending out his 12 apostles and he's warning them that not everyone will receive them hospitably or listen to their message. It's pretty common even today. Most people want to reject Christ and reject our message, uh, but we shake off the dust and move on. And, and I, and I think this is a really good example. And I, and I got to give tribute to these individuals who do this, that street preach. I cannot be a street preacher. It, it, I just, for whatever reason in my, my mental capacity, I just probably couldn't do it. But I think if I was tasked with it, I would take it on 
but just kind of like in my introvertedness, it would be a difficult task for me. But these people are truly out working and grinding for the kingdom of God. And these men and women face incredible persecution. And while they're not being physically harmed in most cases, uh, they are being uh, spit on and cursed at and having things and food and all sorts of other objects thrown at them. Uh, some of them are physically uh, intertangled with, if you would. Uh, they get into fights and brawls and they have to defend themselves. Uh, in fact, I just saw one individual uh, in a clip that was uh, preaching at a um, at a gay rally and they uh, were baptizing um, people who had come to Christ. And while the, the street preacher was baptizing, they were throwing food and drinks at him as he's standing in the river and spraying a uh, string that string stuff on him. And it, it was just a, it was a, it was chaos. And these are the folk who have explicitly rejected the gospel. And so it will be worse for them on the day of judgment than for Sodom and Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah was a, was a, was a one pointed act in Genesis 19 when God rained down judgment upon these two towns and demolish them. What will happen at the end of times for those who reject the gospel is eternal. It will take and go through all time. We who witness to Christ have the same experience. The gospel is foolish to many. Paul makes that a note, but to those who are called both Jews and Greeks, it is Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God is 1 Corinthians one twenty four states. So, uh, very simple and straightforward. We will experience the persecution, but more importantly, this is a verse pointing to uh, the apostles and what they will encounter. And it's a very similar thing to what we encounter today. It you know don't take me, you know that I'm equating these two or I'm saying this verse is for us. It's not. It's for these apostles, but also the same thing that they endured, we endure as well. It is not, it, again, it does not change through history. It does not become easier. It does not become better. I'm sorry to all you, you post-millennialists out there. The world is not becoming more Christianized. It is, in fact, moving further away from a godly morality at, 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 today, at a rate today that has probably never been seen in the history of the world. And the only time we will see a world fully uh, enclosed in the gospel of Christ is on the day of judgment when the new heavens and the new earth are established. So that is my view. I do not believe post-millennialists have much of an argument there. In fact, the more I think about it, dispensationalists and historical premillennialists have more uh, of an argument in uh, the world of eschatology than the post-millennialists do. I personally am an amillennialist or a revealed eschatologist. Uh, that is my position, and I have been in that for a number of years, and I don't think anything would sway me out of it. So, And that it just comes by the simple rendering of the text and what is it telling me. So uh, let's continue on. Let's talk about some persecution because that's always a hot topic. People love that one. So let's look at verse 16 through 25. Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in the synagogues. 
and you will be dragged before governors for and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and to the Gentiles. When they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of the, your father speaking through you. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and a father his child, and the children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. For truly I say to you, you will have gone through all the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. And a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for his disciple to be liked, uh, to be like his teacher, and the servant like his master. If they have called the master of the house Bezabel, how much more will they malign those of his household? So Jesus gives some pretty harsh instructions. Um, and uh, he is establishing this this kind of basis to by which the apostles are going to experience persecution. Now, we know that this isn't an immediate reaction to the apostles exercising their immediate authority. This is going to come after the time of Christ. In fact, all of the apostles except John will experience, and John experiences heavy persecution, don't get me wrong, but... He does not die at the hands of, per, uh, of the persecutor. He is not a martyr in that sense. He dies of old age. But he is uh, boiled in, in, in oil and cast out onto the island of Patmos. And then there Christ comes to him and gives him the revelation of Jesus Christ. Uh, the rest of the apostles experience intense persecution. In fact, many of them were skinned alive, were beheaded, uh, crucified upside down, crucified on an X cross, uh, impaled by spears. I mean, it is gruesome, gruesome, gruesome ways to die. And so uh, Jesus is telling them, look, uh, I'm sending you out. You are a sheep amongst wolves. Jesus is sending his disciples into the dangerous environment. It's very similar to today. People hate Christians. So we are to be innocent as doves without guile and we are to be as wise as serpents when facing danger. So we are to be shrewd when facing danger. So because of men, the disciples will face hostile people and betrayers. They will be flogged in the synagogues. The whipping of a Jewish uh, whipping was a Jewish form of punishment, one that Paul experiences five times as he marks in 2 Corinthians 11:24. The training would prepare the apostles for the future mission of the world, and the disciples would be not left speechless, nor pre-planned defense was no pre-planned defense was necessary because divine assistance would be provided when they encounter this intense persecution. So they're being prepared, they're being trained up, and Jesus is telling them, You will experience these things for my name's sake. Do not be fearful or alarmed or or don't let your spirits be dashed on the rocks. What you experience here and now will be what all Christians at some point will experience. And, and I kind of made this conclusion in my church a few times. And, you know, here in the West, we can live a whole life without any sort of persecution. In fact, for the last 200 years, this has probably been the only safe haven 
for Christians in the world's history, but that is changing and changing quickly. And so now we live in a time that is uncertain of what tomorrow will bring. In fact, we don't even know what this afternoon is going to bring. It is that uh, uncertain right now. So we are experiencing more and more hatred and disgust by the world because of our message that stands in opposition to the world. We stand for the truth of Scripture that man was created by God. God created man and woman. And man and woman were meant for marriage. And we commit to life being uh, sacred from the womb till the grave. And so uh, we as Christians hold to many strict biblical beliefs. And it is a revulsion to the world. They hate us with absolute every fiber of their being. So... Uh, He tells them here that they will be put to death for this. They will be flogged for this. They will be delivered over to the courts for this. Uh, But don't be anxious because in that time you will get uh, words that you need. You'll know what to say. The spirit of your father that is working through you. God's son speaks of a time after Pentecost when his disciples will be filled with the Holy Spirit and who will testify through them as indicated in Acts 1 and 2. So the day of Pentecost in Acts, when we see the Holy Spirit coming down, this is the spirit of your father who will be uh, will be the instrument, if you would, to uh, giving the, the apostles and the disciples and those who are being persecuted, giving them the voice needed in that. So Jesus knew that his disciples would be tempted to give up their mission and their faith even when family members turned against them because of their loyalty to him. Jesus encourages his disciples to stand firm, always keeping in mind the highest goal, that is, salvation. If persecution becomes too severe in one town, Jesus tells his disciples to move on to the next. At times, Jesus himself withdrew to escape danger, as noted back in chapter 4. Uh, the Son of Man comes like we referring to Jesus' coming in judgment on Jerusalem, which is captured and destroyed by the Romans in 70 A.D. So we have um, the, you know, the, the betrayal, if you would, of the father and your brother and all those. They will turn you over to death. And, and I think this is probably one of the most powerful verses uh, in, in all of scripture in verse 22, you will be hated by all for my name's sake, by all the world despises us. It hates us and it cannot stand us. Why? Because we stand against their quote unquote progressive ideology. We stand against what they uh, think is right where everybody has a subjective truth and a subjective reality and more and, and a, an objective reality is not a thing anymore. And so they hate and despise us. And Jesus is telling his disciples, this is what you will experience when you get out into this mission world, you will experience flogging and, and betrayal and death because the world hates you, but that does not hinder you. Nor should it uh, draw fear into you because in those times you will be empowered by the Holy Spirit to carry through. That is a glorious promise. All right, we're going to kind of shut her down there. Uh, We're going to pick up next week at Having No Fear, verse 26.
and we'll see where that takes us. Uh, very close to the end, so we might be able to do the rest of Chapter 10 next week as we uh, are continuing our work through on Matthew. Uh, if you look or are interested in more exclusive content and uh, other podcast shows, come join us on Patreon and you'll get access to all of it, including works and pieces of my book as they are being released. And uh, hopes and pray that I get a call soon about uh, potential publishing of it. And I'll make sure that uh, everybody knows when that happens, but we'll see. Still sitting on uh, the edge of my seat waiting, but I also am in the back of my head thinking that, uh, you know, being a first-time author, I face a uphill battle in terms of uh, being published, so... If it doesn't happen, that's okay. I'll self-publish. Maybe I'll try another publisher, but more than likely I'll have to self-publish and uh, we'll go that route. So as soon as I get the book finished and edited and ready, we will make that known to the to you, the listener. Because I would love if all of you would grab a copy, not because I want to make money on it, because I'll probably, if I do self-publish it, I'll sell it for dirt cheap. But I want to get this into people's hands because I feel that this book is a needed tool in your arsenal when it comes to reading scripture. So uh, that's that, ladies and gentlemen. It is Friday, so make sure on Sunday you are in church and you are hearing the word preached, and I pray that you are able to partake in the sacraments if your church has them. And make sure you are reminded every Sunday that your sins are forgiven by your pastor. That is the most important element to preaching. So uh, get in there and hear those words. Be reminded that Christ forgives you and holds you tight in his hands. Until next week, ladies and gentlemen, God bless. We'll see you all later. Hey guys, thanks for tuning into this episode of Undying Light. If you did enjoy this episode, then consider joining us on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. That means $1 per month will get you access to everything that we do behind the scenes. That includes early releases podcast episodes, bonus episodes that will never be released to the public, teaching videos, Bible studies, sermon notes, and anything else that may arise during the time, as well as early access to my book. That also entails that if you are a patron, when I complete the book, you will get a free copy of that said book. So that is just a few of the things that we do here at Undying Light, and we would greatly appreciate if you come and join this community. You'd have access to our chat groups on Instagram and our Discord channel where we keep everybody up to date and have wonderful conversations spanning the plethora of information. So $1 a month gets you full access to all of that. You can buy a whole year up front and get access for just about $10 and change, and that gives you 12 months uninterrupted access to Undying Light. The other promo I would like to share with you is Logos.com. You can get yourself a copy of this wonderful Bible software. You can download it free and Uh, Go in and just choose and purchase the books that you want, uh, whether you want a study Bible or just a couple commentaries. But the 
app itself is a wonderful program and allows me to quickly move through content without holding me up. I can search and find all of the available resources in my library that talk about whatever topic that I'm covering and I can draw from it and I can read through it and I can have all of it right in front of me. In fact, as I'm recording this, I have my study Bible open with my ESV Bible open and generally I'll have the Book of Concord open and probably some of Luther's lectures or his uh, commentaries or anything else that he may have written, maybe even sermon notes, things like that up on the screen. Those tools are wonderful in helping you study. On top of all that, this is not an app just for theologians and pastors, but it can be used for anybody and everybody at any walk in their life. Wherever you are in your walk with Christ, this app can help benefit you. So logos.com forward slash undying light. You'll get yourself some discounts on packages where it will come designed to your specific denominational view. If you're Lutheran, you can get the Lutheran package. If you're Baptist or Reformed or Calvinist or Anglican or Catholic or Jewish, you can get all of those packages at a discounted rate through that link. So you can find all that information in the show notes, as well as anything that pertains to fitness and health, as that is a, another mantra to my life. And if you have any questions on that, feel free to DM me. So thanks again, guys. Have a great day. God bless. We'll see you later.